Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads Community Church, our vision is to awaken the city of Pittsburgh and surrounding areas by creating cool places to experience God in local neighborhoods throughout Pittsburgh and beyond. Now here is this week's message. With one of our traditions, usually what we do is uh, one of the first services uh, or celebrations of the new year, uh, we will have what we call a Q&A session where uh, people have sent in or uh, I've pulled questions from, there's a, a chat room that I moderate from there or from off of the internet or from you guys that you guys have either sent in or emailed in or called in or whatever, or just asked me in general. And we'll kind of go over those because they may be things that we haven't covered throughout the year. And I will just usually just sit here and kind of, um, well, try to sit still anyway and, and, and respond to those questions. Uh, this year, um, as I was looking through all the questions, they really hit on four areas uh, that were lots of questions, but they, I'd say 90% of them centered on four areas. One uh, was the area of um, sex, you know, teens and young adults asking questions about sex. Uh, one was the area of drugs. Uh, where in the Bible does it say that we can't smoke this or inject that or do this? Uh, Obviously, the area of sin, if I'm just doing this thing and no one's getting hurt and I like it, why does God call it sin? Didn't God create sin? So doesn't that make it okay? Those type of questions. And then, of course, questions about uh, hell. And I told you guys we're going to do a series on that down the road uh, where people are, you know, does hell really exist? Isn't it just a metaphor? Uh, There's really no place of fire. Uh, Didn't God create hell? Why would a good God send people to hell? All this kind of stuff. And I apologize for using that language in front of your kids, but it's in the Bible. Okay, so um, since our focus this year is as individuals and as a worship community to kind of uh, be able to share with people in our circle of influence about our relationship with God, what I thought would be Better than just do a straight, read the question and answer it, was to take all those and lump them into uh, a series that we're calling Let's Talk About. And it's basically us where we're going to talk about some of these issues. Now, uh, here's the thing. Uh, We're going to start this morning with sex and drugs, and it's very PG-rated. Okay, so if your teens are in here, uh, probably the most offensive thing that you will hear me say is the word sex. And Christy said, can't you pick another word? And I said, I could pick coitus. But they don't know what that means. So I, <laughs> I don't think they would get the, like, what was he talking about, Mom? What's a coin? But uh, so that, I mean, I'm not going to, you know, I don't have like videos and charts and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, I, I'm going to just go and look at what does the Bible uh, say about it. And, again, in a very very, almost G-rated, really, G-rated fashion. Nothing offensive or whatever. It's just, what does the Bible say about it? And then in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about all those other all those other topics. So rather than just read a question and answer it, we're going to just cover this broad discussion because in your circle of influence, in your schools, your home, your workplace, your bowling alleys, um, probably not so much when you're out hunting because everyone's quiet, but where you gather with people in your circle of influence, these are things that they're talking about anyway. Uh, and it's not for us to go to someone who uh, doesn't profess your faith and criticize them or judge them or say, you should be doing what I should be doing. But we definitely should be able to say, here's why I believe what I believe uh, without 
condemning, judging, or beating them over the head. Uh, so uh, before we can talk about these topics, though, um, all of these topics, sin, hell, sex, drugs, everything that God does, we have to have an understanding of the fact that God is just, okay? Uh, God is a just God. So if you have a Bible, uh, I want to look at that first. So if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32. Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Bible. And again, I'm going to try to just sit still without roaming all over the place and uh, go over this. So Deuteronomy is is, uh, a book that was written by Moses. It's considered one of the books of the law, uh, the law of Moses. Uh, It's actually God's law. Uh, It was, in essence, it was Moses kind of reiterating to the people of Israel now, here's all the things that God has done for us, blessed us with, told us to adhere to, uh, just kind of going over, summarizing, if you will. It was his, uh, for lack of a better term in church language, his benediction, uh, if you will. So in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32, uh, and if you don't have a Bible, uh, just raise your hand and we'll have someone grab one for you. Definitely want you to read along so you know I'm not making this stuff up. In the book of uh, Deuteronomy, chapter 32, and verse 3, it says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the goodness of our God. He is the rock, and rock is capitalized there. Uh, Not that when he spoke it, he spoke it with a capital R, but we look at it and know that the intention is that he was pointing towards Jesus Christ. And it says, he is the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. Now, if you have a King James Bible, the first time it uses the word just, it may say the word judgment, right? And, and what it's basically saying there is that uh, God is the epitome of justice, okay? And before I continue, I find it awkward sitting down, so I can't. <laughs> so I'm going to stand up and, yeah, do the whole walking around thing. So what it's saying there is that God is the epitome of justice. It's basically referring to every uh, uh, legal decision, every 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 litigation that takes place, and a judgment or a, a punishment has to be issued out. It says that when God does it, it is always, always, always right. Every judgment is right. Every decision is right. Every every uh, litigation, uh, every judgment that He makes, every sentence that He proclaims, is accurate and right. Now, and then it says, a faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. And that's referring to the character and conduct of God. The word that's used there literally refers to the character and the conduct of God. And it's basically saying that uh, what, what it's saying is that God makes just and right and legally, legally accurate judgments because he is just and right and he can't do anything else. And it's making the correlation between what he does and who he is. Now, turn to the book of uh, Thessalonians. Thessalonians is in the New Testament. And if you go past the Gospels and then past uh, Acts and past Romans and uh, First and Second Corinthians and then past Galatians, Ephesians, uh, Philippians and Colossians, you'll hit First Thessalonians. And in the book of Second Thessalonians... Uh, Paul is writing his second letter to the church in Thessalonica, and he says to the church of the Thessalonians, uh, this is in verse 1, And God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3 says, We ought always to thank God 
for you brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. He says the faith that you guys have, the way that you love on one another, the way that you spend time for one another, the way that you care for one another, that's increasing more and more. And then he tells them, therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials that you're enduring. He says, you guys are a model congregation, a model worship community, because despite the fact that people are talking about you, hating you, you're being persecuted financially because of your beliefs, and personally because of your beliefs, you're still loving on one another, supporting one another, and coming together as a community. And he said, we tell other people, this is how it's supposed to be done, by pointing at you. Verse 5, he says, all this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Verse 6, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and will give relief to those who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And he basically, there he's saying that God is just. His judgment is right. God is just. I know you guys are suffering, but we have a just, and the word there is virtuous and righteous God who is always, always good. And you may feel like you're being persecuted now, but God is going to issue his sentence, his right, correct, and legally correct sentence in due time. All right? So when we talk about the fact that God is just, um, here's the working definition, and this is going to go through everything that we talk about for the next couple of weeks. When we talk about the fact that God is just, basically what we're saying is that God is correct in his understanding of right and wrong. See, our understanding of right and wrong changes as our culture changes. Things that we said were okay to do, and I'm not bashing anyone who smokes. I used to smoke long, long time. Uh, but our culture said, yeah, it's okay to smoke. Then they said, well, it's only okay for adults to smoke, and we probably shouldn't publicize it. Then they said, well, no one should really smoke. It's really bad for you. And this was not over the course of days or weeks. This is over decades. Because as our culture changed and we had more information, then the culture changed their view on what's right and what's wrong, what's acceptable and what's not. But God is the same, and God is just. His views doesn't change. His, his moral and, and um, perspective doesn't change. And so uh, God is correct in his understanding of right and wrong, in his ability to reveal to us that understanding, because he does reveal it to us. This is the beauty of what God does. It would be one thing if God just said, this is what's right, this is what's wrong, waited for you to do one or the other, and then said, aha, I got you. You did what's wrong. But I didn't know. And in some places, you could be driving down, there's no speed limit. What happens if you get stopped by a cop and you say, I didn't see a sign, there's no sign? Ignorance doesn't mean that you get away, Right? You still get the ticket. You still got to go to court. You still got to pay the fine. Your insurance still goes up, yada, yada, yada. But um, he says that he wants to reveal to us his understanding of right and wrong. So God is correct in his understanding of right and wrong, his ability to reveal to us that understanding, and his authority to uphold that understanding. Because he is just, then he has the authority to issue out the sentences He has the authority to say that God will pay back evil in his time, and he'll do it in a right way. No one will be able to say, hey, I was wrong. I didn't have a chance. I did this. I didn't do that. All right? So now we're going to transition that to um, the topic of coitus. All right? So uh, in the Old Testament, 
God laid out uh, how coitus was to occur. All right? And, and, and he didn't go into detail of, you know, whatever, but uh, he did lay out some general guidelines. Okay? And he said in certain, uh, you can't, you know, no, no coital relations between certain relatives. Uh, no coital relations with between humans and animals. He even laid out no coital relations between these particular genders, same genders. He laid out no, he, this is how detailed it was. He said, uh, no coital relations. Is everyone tired of hearing the word coital? All right, because it's difficult to say. He said, no relations of that type if your intentions are not right. That's how deep he went into it. But again, these were guidelines. Now, that was the Old Testament. You jump to the New Testament, and Jesus comes along, and he doesn't use the word sex or coitus. He introduces us to an entirely new phrase where he's talking about uh, what most of your Bibles will say is sexual immorality. Or, if you have a King James Version, fornication, which most of us probably in this day and culture, unless you have a King James Version, don't hear that word. And he says that, um, he says, it's, 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 in Matthew fifteen nineteen. he says that um, when the evil stuff that comes up out of your heart, he says, examples of that evilness, of that impurity, of those things that are not right in God's sight are murder, adultery, and sexual immorality. Right? Now, now, here's the problem. The word that's used throughout the New Testament for sexual immorality or fornication is a Greek word, and let me make sure I'm pronouncing this right. It's pornia or pornania. Both of those, one of those Greek words. And it's where we get our English word, pornography. That's where that word comes from. And, and, and it, that basically means, here's what it means. It means that if you look up fornication in the dictionary, whether the old school dictionary, you know, the ones with paper, or dictionary.com or somewhere online, you're going to see references to divine or God or Leviticus or Deuteronomy, depending on where you look it up. Because the only use of that word was in context to, and it says um, sexual interactions or relations or something like that, that are not just or not right. And you have to ask yourself, not just or not right in whose eyes? And it's not just or not right or not lawful in God's eyes. The only use of that word is in context to God's perspective on coitus and and how it should be done. The word literally means um, sexual contact, relations, or engagement that is outside of God's will. So when it comes to anything Anything that has to do with that, and I'm not going to go into detail because this, this is a problem that everyone asks all kind of specific questions. Well, here's the answer that covers every question you could ask. When it comes to anything to do with that, if it's outside of God's will, then God says, no, don't do it. God says, don't be engaged in it. Don't partake in it. And so uh, when we look at why would God say something like that? Because from God's viewpoint, if you are to say this in a way and acknowledge the people. If you are engaging in something like that and giving yourself to someone else, you are the most valuable thing that you have. 
you are the most valuable thing in God's sight. And if you are giving yourself to someone else in that type of way, then you are getting involved in physical, uh, emotional, psychological uh, involvement, entanglements, even though you may not think so. And there's a weight physically, emotionally, psychologically that comes with that. But if from now God is just, if you are getting involved with that and then you're not making a commitment, then you're carrying that weight alone without the person that you're getting involved with. And in God's sight, that's not just. That physical, psychological, uh, that spiritual involvement is not meant to be carried by one. It is meant to be carried by both. Now, uh, turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. Turn back a couple of chapters. And Paul addresses this in a little bit of detail, but not too much. Hopefully that will uh, be in a language that everyone is... Uh, Okay, well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 12, uh, many of you will have a title about the body is the Lord's or sexual immorality somewhere in your, in your Bible that, that talks about it. Uh, here's what he says. He says, uh, this is Paul talking to the church in Corinth, and he says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. In other words, there are things that I can just do. No one's going to stop me. I could do it. But that doesn't mean it's going to have a benefit just because it's there for me to engage in, which is the opposite of our culture, which says if it feels good, do it. doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Right? And he says, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and stomach for the food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality or fornication or any coital contact outside of God's will. He says your body is not meant for that. Now, here's the thing you've got to understand. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to those that have a relationship with God and follow Christ. He's not talking to the person that doesn't know God. And we'll go into that uh, in a little bit. And he says, but verse 14, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? In other words, members like your finger is a member, your toe is a member. Your body is an extension or a part of the body of Christ, not physically, but spiritually because Christ has put his spirit inside of you if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. He says, shall I then take the members or the body parts of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? And the word that's used there literally means that someone that is engaged in or involved in coital activities, not necessarily for financial gain, but just to get something, just to feel good, just to get attention, just to get affection, just to get love. He says, if you're doing that just to gain something, that's not what God called you to do. It's not why he has his spirit in you. Your body is not meant to be used that way. And then he says, um, never, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. He says, flee from sexual immorality, or any sexual activity or engagement outside of the will of God. All other sins, now, here he's making the statement that sexual immorality is a sin. Because people, where does it say that I should? 
He's, it's a sin. All other sins, he says, a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. This is, this is Paul telling a, a, a church that, hey, you need to be careful about how you're using your body because your body is now associated with, tied with, and a part of Christ's body. Now, uh, the rest of the verses, because of time, I'm going to put up on screen. Uh, and it, he tells the church in Ephesus, right? Ephesus was a church, uh, 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 it was actually a city where you could go and you could indulge in anything you wanted to. It was, it was the Vegas of that day. So what happens in Ephesus yeah, I thought you were going to pretend like you never heard that. All right, so uh, this, this, that was where you could go and do whatever you want, get engaged in whatever you want, and then you could leave and come back and be like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he tells the church there, the people that were Christ followers, living in the heart of that city and that culture, a culture that was directly opposed to what he was telling them to do. He said, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. He's telling them that, hey, you are to live a life of love. You are to do what Christ did. You have to live your life in the same way that Christ lived his life. Now he goes on and he says, but among you, you meaning the entire worship community, not you as an individual, you, the entire worship community, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or fornication or any engagement in activity like that that is outside of God's will or any kind of impurity. And the word impurity literally means uh, activities that make you unclean or separated from God or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. And the reason it's improper is because if you're giving in the greed, You're basically saying, whatever I want, I can just do and get more of. And if you're doing that, then obviously you're going to engage in impure activities and sexual immorality. He tells the church in uh, his first letter to the church in Thessalonica, and this is, again, he's, he's ending his first letter to them, and he says, Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact, you are living. And there are so many people that say, well, pff, that's why I don't want anything to do with Christianity because, you know, it's a long set of rules and who can live like that? And I don't want to be, you know, like a live like a nun and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And that's not what it's like. And people, I've heard people say it's impossible to live up to God's standards. And here Paul is telling them, you are doing it. You are living like that now. And he says, now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Again, because Jesus Christ, as God, has the authority to say, here's what's right, here's what's wrong, here's what's immoral, here's what's moral. He has the authority to say that more than anyone else does or more than our culture does. And he says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified or set apart or holy. And the colon there indicates, here's how you do that. He says, it's God will that you should be set apart or sanctified. And he says, here's how, that you should avoid any type of coital relations that are outside of God's will. Then he says that each of you should also learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. Now that word heathen, it literally just means uh, the people that don't know God. The Gentile people is what they refer to as. Now here's the thing. He's telling them that you have God's Holy Spirit. So if you're a Christ follower, you can control your body. It's uh, How many of you guys have ever seen any of the X-Men movies? 
Okay. Well, the seven of us, there's, there's this group of, uh, it's, it's a comic book, first of all, and they, you know, made it into a movie. And there's this group of superheroes, and they're called the X-Men, and some of them are teens, and some of them are adults, and they have this genetic thing that causes them to have this superpower. And there is this guy called Professor Xavier who brings them to his school for gifted youngsters. And because, you know, their culture is kind of, we don't know what you guys are capable of or what you do, so they kind of look at them in a weird way. So they don't say it's a school for people with that X gene or X-Men. It says it's a school for gifted youngsters because he tells them that power inside of you, it's a gift. And you just have to learn to control it and use it. And he trains them to use it for good. And it's the equivalent of the church saying, Paul, this is what Paul's saying, you have God's Holy Spirit in you. You have this power in you. You just have to learn. And with that power, you can control your body. You can learn to use it in a God-honoring way, which would make me like a black Professor X, except I have hair. But this is what he's telling them. You, you have the ability to hone. And all. this is the biggest concern. I can't control it. I want this. I want this. Paul is saying you can. He's telling them you are living the way that God wants you to live. You do have the power to do it. And the reason that Gentiles don't, they don't have God's Holy Spirit in them. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you do. And you can live your life in a God-honoring way. And you can control those coital urges. So in summary, here's, here's, here's basically, what does the Bible say about sex? Ask God. If it's not outlined in God's word, ask God before you engage in it. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing, you can't go to work. And this, I know it happened to me, it probably happened to some of you, or maybe you saw someone. You can't go to work or your school or your home or wherever, and someone who doesn't follow Christ say, you shouldn't be doing that. The only moral authority they have is the culture or their parents who may be influenced by the culture or their school or whatever. They don't have God's moral authority. It's not for you to say what they should be doing. It is for you to say that, hey, I have a God who loves me, and the reason that I don't do that is because I know it's hard, but I love the Lord so much, and he has given me his Holy Spirit to allow me to be able to conduct myself in a God-honoring way. That's a better conversation to have than, you're going to hell if you kiss her not going to be as effective, all right? Now, um, the talk of the, 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 the actual discussion about drugs, much quicker, much easier. Um, again, I'm going to just put this on screen. This is what Paul wrote to one of the churches, uh, to the church in Galatia. And, and many of you are familiar with this passage of scripture because he tells them that the acts of a sinful nature, basically the acts of the flesh, the acts of the body, what the body desires to do, the natural tendency of what the body desires to do. He said they're obvious. There's sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry, which means, you know, putting things above God and wanting something to worship, and witchcraft, magic. I'll get back to that in a minute. He says hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of, selfish, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Then he goes on and he says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, he makes a distinction because this is what happens. People say, if I flip up and I say a bad word or I do this or do that, oh, I'm done, God's done with me. No, he says people that live like this, people who adopt this as their way of living, their lifestyle, the people who give in to the greed and give in to their sinful nature, uh, God says that they will not be allowed into his kingdom. They're going to be cut off from continuing relations with him. Now, uh, here's the interesting part. The word witchcraft, 
when he talks about that. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. The word witchcraft is the word pharmakia. That's the Greek words that's used. It's where we get our words, pharmaceuticals and pharmacy. Pharmaceuticals are drugs. Pharmacy is a place that dispenses drugs. Normally not the kind, the street pharmacy type, but the type that the government says you can use these for these purposes. It also means use of sorcery, sorcery or magic or witchcraft. All right? Now, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew form of that word, magic and sorcery, it is derived from the same type of word that literally refers to pharmaceutical, pharmacy, uh, drugs, that type of thing. Now, here's why. In that day, sorcery, magic, all that stuff, people who did all that stuff, they would take drugs, chemicals, pharmacia, they would take that in order to try to obtain a higher spiritual level. Because they would take their bodies and either drink stuff or mix stuff or smoke stuff or inhale stuff so that their mind, so they believed, would reach a higher spiritual plane. That's why it's called getting high. That was the intent. So that their mind would reach what they believed a higher spiritual plane. Once their mind reached that higher spiritual plane, they could perform things, magic, sorcery, that they couldn't do on this plane. Their bodies physically couldn't do it. But if they took these pharmacia, these drugs, then they could. And what God says is, hey, that is wrong. Now, from God's perspective, here's the thing. If you're trying to climb the spiritual ladder, for lack of a better term, or ascend more spiritually, if you think throughout Scripture, is there anyone in Scripture who tried to climb spiritually higher to be like God? Satan. Satan said, I want to be like God. In other words, I'm, I'm going to, God created me and equipped me uh, to be this, but I want to be higher spiritually so that I'm able to do more spiritually. And what happens is the people that are taking drugs and doing all this stuff, when they're trying to uh, climb the spiritual plane, they are trying to ascend spiritually higher than what God has equipped them and created them to be. God says it's wrong. It's the equivalent of saying, hey, I want, when your child says, I want to be like you. I want to I I be the parent. I'm tired of listening to you. I want to be the parent. But they don't want to go through, you know, the birthing process. They don't want to, you know, go through the financial. They don't want to go out and get a job. And when they do get a job, they want to keep the money and spend it on them. No offense, teens. But they want that without going through what it takes to get there. And when people are taking drugs from God's perspective, he says, you are, you are trying to move your body and your mind to a place where it's not designed, created, or equipped to be, and it's wrong. Now, uh, I'm going to ask the band to come up, and here's what uh, I'm going to close out with. Because this is God's final thought on the whole drug process. He says, blessed are those, and this is in the NIV, and I put, you know, here's, here's Floyd's 
explanation or interpretation uh, of it. You can look these scriptures up yourself. Revelation 22, 14 to 15, uh, Jesus Christ says, Blessed are those who wash their robes, which means they become clean through the blood of Christ. He says, those people are blessed. And he says that they may have the right to the tree of life, which basically means they have the right to eternity, the tree of life where it was the, uh, the place where if you eat of it, then you can live for eternity. And he says, so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city, which basically meant they got to come in to the new Jerusalem that God created for his people to be with him for eternity. He said, blessed are the people that do this. But then he says, outside of the city, meaning those who are separated from God, they're not getting in, are the dogs, which literally means the unpure or the unclean. If I had written this, I'd probably say cats, but... He says, those who practice magic or pharmacia, use drugs, or engage in sorcery, the sexually immoral, those who engage in that kind of activity outside of God's will, the murderers who are those who hate and and the idolaters, those who seek to worship anything but God, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. He said, all of those people, and it's not God excluding. It's not God excluding and saying, get out. It's God saying, fine, you want to live and engage and you want that to be your lifestyle. That's not what we're doing in my house. So you stay over there. And we're going to spend eternity over here. And the question for us when it comes to whether it be uh, the topic of, of sex or whether it be the topic of drugs, it's a matter of who are we allowing to reign in our life? Granted, we all have things that we want, we all have desires, but it's the question of if you are a Christ follower, who are you allowing to reign in your life? I'm going to ask you to stand and um, we're going to sing a few songs and we're going to worship. And here's what I want you to do as we, as we sing these songs. It's one of those awkward topics where it's hard to turn from coitus to worship. So we're just going to turn a corner and get there. But as you're doing it, as you're singing these songs, just just let God speak to your heart. And I don't know where anyone is on any of these topics, which is why it's not our place to go in and tell people you should do this or you shouldn't do that. or here's what. It's our place to say, hey, here's what God's doing for my life and in my life. And maybe he can do that for you if you're willing to let him reign in your life.